Good morning, everybody. It's lovely that we can gather together and continue our sermon series on these uh, more difficult parables, week number two of a series of ten. And as Steve just mentioned then, the reason we've chosen these ten parables is either they are hard to understand in some way, or they're hard to put into practice in some way. So I don't know about you, but when I read some of the parables that Jesus told, I read it and I think, hang on, what exactly was Jesus trying to say there? So I read it a second time and that similar thing might happen. I read it a third time and maybe I'm starting to understand a little bit of what Jesus is trying to say. And we want to do justice to some of those harder parables that we can truly delve deep into them, study them, to realise how we today can be transformed like Jesus commands us to be. What exactly Jesus is saying and how we can live our lives as a result. Now some of the parables are actually quite easy to understand. The stories themselves are quite simple. But what they demand of us is so great. What they ask of us is so difficult to actually live out. How Jesus is asking us to transform our lives can be so tough. Yet Jesus says it. So again, we need to study these things. Study the stories that Jesus told so that we can grow in our discipleship. Now, this story, I think, fits into both of those camps. Hard to understand in a few ways and really difficult to put into practice. Firstly, Jesus says that we are to hate our families. Really? Hate our families? We are to hate ourselves. That's really difficult to understand and we're going to delve into that in a moment. The two stories themselves, I think as stories, are relatively easy to understand the story. But actually, what does the story mean to us? And how are we to be changed as a result of these stories, of these messages? And then we have a particularly difficult thing to live out in verse 33, where it says, you are to give up everything everything in order to be my disciple. So we're going to delve into that all in sort of three sections. We're firstly going to look at what it means to be a radical disciple. Jesus never does anything in half measures, does he? He asks us for our full selves, giving of ourselves fully because he gave of himself fully. We're then going to look at the actual two stories and count the cost of our discipleship. We need to be realistic about what Jesus is saying to us, saying what it is to walk as a disciple of him. And then we're going to look at a response. So before we delve into the scriptures, shall we just pray? Lord, today as we study your words, may we be transformed into your likeness. May what we hear this morning change us profoundly as disciples of Christ. 
May we be radically changed through a walk closer with you. In your name. Amen. So please have this scripture in front of you, 1048 in the church Bibles. And look at verse 25. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus. I love that Luke includes this before we hear the teaching of Jesus. People wanted to be Jesus' disciple. They wanted to follow him. They wanted to learn from him. They wanted to witness him in action. People wanted to follow Christ and he drew great crowds to hear him preach. Earlier in Luke and in the other Gospels too, we see Jesus call his first 12 disciples. Jesus, with only a few words, says, come, follow me. And these men literally have never seen Jesus before, potentially. They drop their nets. They drop their livelihood. They leave their families and they follow Jesus for these next three years of his ministry. What is it about Jesus that is so attractive? And I don't mean a physical attraction. I mean, what is it about Jesus that is so compelling that Jesus says three words to these men and they literally give up everything and follow him? What is it that Jesus has That enables people just to walk alongside him and want to learn from him. Now we know that Jesus is a great teacher. And we know that great teachers draw crowds in. With their stories, with their humour, what they're speaking about. But the profound message of Jesus' teaching is love, is grace is joy and hope. No wonder Jesus drew a crowd when he was talking about those things. No wonder Jesus drew a crowd when he was healing people. I want to see Jesus' miracles in action. Or, I want to be healed of something. Jesus, will you heal me? Jesus delivered people. Jesus raised people from the dead. You would want to see that for yourselves, wouldn't you? You would want to experience that. No wonder Jesus drew crowds. But there's something else. Jesus is God. Jesus empties himself and becomes a human, fully human, fully God walks upon this earth, no wonder he is compelling. God himself walking on this earth. Imagine the presence of God walking in our midst. No wonder he drew a crowd. And now the people who are listening to this message today... They haven't witnessed this yet, but the most compelling reason why people follow Christ, certainly today, 
is that he died for us. He literally gave everything of himself, taking all of our sin upon his shoulders so that we can be sinless in the eyes of God the Father and we can spend eternity with him. No wonder people want to be his disciple. And then Jesus goes on and says this, puts a slight spanner in the works. It's quite startling, isn't it? This is verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Hang on a second, Jesus. You're telling us here to hate our family. Yet we have already heard you preach that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And the second is to love your neighbour as yourself. Hang on, is, is Jesus contradicting himself here? We see Jesus say, love your enemies. Regardless of what they have done, love your enemies. We see Jesus live in relationship and community with other people and cause us to do likewise. And flicking right back to the Old Testament, Ten Commandments, honour your father and your mother. Jesus, what are you saying here? Hate our family? And I looked at a few translations of this passage and all the ones that I looked at said hate. That clearly must have been the words that Jesus used. Is Jesus contradicting himself? Or is he saying something else? It must be something else. And I think it's this. Jesus is saying, the love that you have for me, for Jesus, must be so great must be so high, so deep, so wide, that the love that you have for everybody here on earth is hatred by comparison. Does that make sense? The love that you should have for Christ is so vast that the love that you have for everybody here on earth is hatred as comparison. Because I do not believe that Jesus is saying that we are to hate our families. By no means. He calls us to love our families. Love our spouses. Love our neighbours. Love our kids, parents. But the weight of love that we should place, we should give to Jesus is so, so great. This is totally against our worldview, isn't it? Because who's the most important person in our society? Us. We are, aren't we? I am the most important person in this society for me. So our world says. But yet Jesus says, not only hate your family by comparison, hate yourself. Because the love that you have for me is so great, is so much, is so vast. 
So a couple of questions to sort of challenge us. Who is the most important person in your life? Truly, who is the most important person in your life? Who gets the place of ultimate honour and glory? Is that Jesus? Is Jesus at the throne of your life? Because if we're to grow people, if we're to grow ourselves, as our vision says, we need to have a radical shift of perspective. That we are not the most important beings in our life. Our families are not the most important in our life. But that Jesus deserves the highest honour and the highest importance. If we are to change lives here in Southport, we need to first know that our lives have been radically changed for the sake of the gospel, for the love of Christ, for the joy and the hope and the grace that he shares. Because unless we have a radical shift of self, we cannot enable others to see Christ for themselves and to change lives as we so want to. But let me ask you this. I've put radical discipleship there. Is this actually so radical? If you think about what Jesus has done for us, and I don't just mean head thinking, I mean true heart thinking. True heart knowledge. If we know truly the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us, for me, for you individually, is this actually so radical? Is it so radical to give everything to him who has given everything to us? I don't actually think it's that radical. Jesus shows an overwhelming commitment to us. With what he does for us on the cross. And he demands of us an overwhelming commitment to him. Question in your heart whether you think this is quite so radical or not. And then Jesus tells two stories and I'll read the first one out. He says this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Would you start an extension on your house if you didn't have the funds to complete it? What do you think? Oh, we've got a little bit of money, so I'll build two walls and then I'll save for a few more years and build the next few, roof and so on. Or would you save up, know the cost that it's going to be to you before you embark on the project? Because I think that we would, wouldn't we? We wouldn't want to live in that mess We would want to know that we had the right resources for the job. So the story itself is relatively simple. What does this mean for us? 
What is Jesus trying to say to us about our discipleship? It is this. Count the cost. Don't start the journey of discipleship unless you are prepared to do what I've just said. Put Jesus on the throne of your life. Don't embark on the journey unless you have truly been realistic in the cost. This is what one commentator says. There is no positive testimony in a walk with God that is abandoned because the cost has not been properly assessed. Don't start the journey unless Christ is truly at the throne of your life. And then Jesus uses another example. This is verse 31. Well, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Don't commit to being in the fight with Jesus against sin, the world and the devil unless you have counted the cost. Unless you have truly counted the cost of what our discipleship is. But hang on. How on earth do we know the cost that Jesus will call upon our lives at the start of our journey? Well, we don't, do we? We don't know what God will call us to do throughout our lives as a disciple of him. It is a mindset. It is about knowing that you are prepared to give everything to God. Another commentator says this. God has claim on all areas of our lives. No one can know at the start of the walk everything involved. But one can enter the journey with an understanding that God has access to all that we are. God has access to all we are. And then we come to verse 33. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot, cannot be my disciple. Being a disciple of Jesus demands everything. I've said that a few times now. It demands everything of us to put Jesus truly at the centre. Whatever is at the centre to push aside and ensure that Jesus is at the throne of our lives. Jesus requires us to be prepared to give up everything if he asks. So today, if Jesus calls you and says, I want you to go overseas to spread the gospel in my name. Honestly, look inside yourself and think, would I be prepared to go? Would I be prepared to literally give up everything in terms of worldly possessions and move to wherever God might call you to be? bit closer to home. What if God is saying to you, I want you to move into this parish. Move into this neighbourhood. 
Because there are people here who are in such dire need of hearing the gospel. And there is no one on this particular street who professes that Jesus is their Lord. Would you move from the suburbs of Southport, our nice areas, and move into an area that has more challenges? Truly, if God put that on your heart this morning, would you do that? Would you give up everything for him? What if Jesus calls you into a line of work that took a dramatic pay cut? So that your life would have to radically change. Honestly, ask yourself, would you be prepared to put Jesus at the centre if that's what he calls us to do in those situations? Whatever we value the most, are we prepared to give it up? Now, Steve spoke uh, most of his sermon on this last week, so I won't dwell on that anymore. Go back and listen to that if you want. But we have a response to make as I draw to a close. What I don't want today is you to walk out of church in a gloomy fashion. Oh, well, Simon said, and because of what the Bible says, that we should hate our families. And that we should count the costs. And if I'm being honest, if I'd counted the costs before I started on the journey, I'm not sure I would have bothered because I'm not prepared to give everything up. I'm not going to come back here again. Please don't leave in that gloomy fashion. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. The joy of the gospel, the joy of Jesus' love for you is so great. The joy of the resurrection is so vast that we have the privilege to put Christ at the centre of our lives. We have the privilege to listen to what God is calling us to do and act on that and know that God will be with us. And know that God will walk alongside us as we faithfully walk alongside him. Jesus has given so much up for us. Everything, in fact. Are we able to give up? Everything for him. Are we able to truly commit our lives to him? Being a disciple of Christ is the greatest challenge you will ever undergo. But it is the greatest, the greatest adventure you will ever walk. Jesus is not calling us to be disciples because it is easy. He is calling us to be disciples of him, to follow him, to learn from his ways. Because of what he has done for us so that we can spend eternity with him. Go out of this place in a joyful fashion. Please, in the hope of the gospel. So... I want to challenge you in two ways. Maybe today 
you wouldn't call yourself a disciple of Christ. And I pray so much that I have not put you off. But I pray that as I've been speaking, you have counted the cost and realised that, yes, today is the day that I give it all to him. Because of the surpassing worth of the love of Christ. You may have committed to Christ many years ago. But you might feel like you are wondering why you are a disciple of him. Why you are following him. And I hope and pray that this morning that spark has been re-energised in you. That spark of the gospel hope that Jesus loves you and that we are prepared to give everything up for him. And so I challenge you to listen. Listen to God. And ask him, Lord, are you asking me to give something up in your name? Something that I've been closing my ears to because it is simply too difficult to put into practice. Ask him. And I pray that we are faithful in that. Is Jesus sitting on the throne of your life? Because if he's not, are you ready to join? Should we stand? If I can invite the band to come up. I'm going to pray as the band gets settled. If any of that in particular stirs something in you, if today is the day that you want to become a disciple of Christ for the first time, there'll be people on your right that can pray with you, can walk through that with you. If you know that you have been pulling something off or you are wanting to hear what God might be calling you into then again come and get prayer I want you to be radically transformed as a disciple of Christ as we leave today so let's pray Father we truly surrender all to you we truly give everything of ourselves for you because of the glory of you The majesty of you, your overwhelming commitment to us. May, Lord, we have an overwhelming commitment for you. Lord, challenge us this morning to live a radically different life. Amen.